Good morning. The reading today is taken from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and you can find it on page 1108 in the Green Bibles. What uh, Tim has done is he's picked three sections from the letter to try and draw out the, the guts, if you like, of this letter. So if you have the service sheet uh, handy as well, you'll notice that the reading starts in chapter 1, and then I'm going to read a bit from chapter 3, and then a bit from chapter 6. And the page numbers are given on the order of service, the service sheet. So if you want to keep the service sheet in one hand and have the Bible open, or you may choose to just listen. Entirely up to you. And what Paul has done in verses 1 to 14 of chapter 1 is set out God's purpose to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, Christ. And I'm going to read now from chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all his people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that can be invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now moving on to chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 7 to 13. Chapter 3, verse 7. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. And lastly, chapter 6, verses 10 to 18. Chapter 6, verse 10. <coughs> Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great, Trevor, thank you very much. I'd love it if you had um, those pages open, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We'll look at uh, that in just a few minutes. But just to say, first of all... um, what Tuesday and Wednesday will kind of look like and Colin can we have there we are we've got the the, the, the template there this is I mean it's a little bit flexible but, but this is kind of what I have in mind for how we'll spend the time together uh, on, on the Tuesday or the Wednesday uh, and the, just to say that the intention is although it's a different venue that Wednesday will replicate Tuesday um, but the idea is that we'll uh, just allow time to arrive. There'll be some, I'll have the urn on in the hall, so some tea and coffee as people arrive. Just grab that, uh, and we'll have a, perhaps an opening prayer. I might read a psalm or something just to put aside the day and focus on the Lord. And then an opportunity, I want to give opportunity for people in their groups to kind of just sort of uh, buzz a bit about what was said on Sunday. Uh, and, and what we've looked at week by week. Um, questions, things we didn't understand, things we got an issue with, things we disagree with, uh, just to kind of bubble that out. And it would be quite interesting, I think, and a good exercise if we fed that back. So you can see 8.35-ish. Um, it'd be quite good to see what other, the different groups and different individuals were, were getting. Are we, are we uh, you know, there are similar issues or are actually quite different things. That would be quite interesting, I think. Uh, We'll spend a significant amount of time then going back to look at particular passages in Scripture. We may look at two or three verses uh, in different parts of the Bible and see what the the linking theme is or the idea is and uh, attempt to to sort of apply that to our lives. Uh, And we'll have, again, some sort of plenary there. What have the different groupings come up with? There there might be, as the weeks go on, there might be one final little exercise that we can do perhaps as individuals within the groups. Um, but that gives you a rough idea, and I'm really wanting us to finish at 9.30. I know the next day is a school night. Um, we've got to get to work and all that. So uh, an hour and a half, short, sharp. And as I say, it's for uh, people who are already used to meeting midweek in the church. But I, it's a wonderful opportunity. If you um, aren't in the practice of, of meeting with the church midweek, coming to one or other of these small groups, this is a brilliant way just to get a feel for them. Because it's not as if you're having to sort of knock on on someone's door and, and go into the unknown it, it's all there um, particularly on the Tuesday uh, all the groups that meet you, you can kind of see who the people are and where you might fit in so it's a great way of, 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 of starting to join a house group a midweek fellowship group here at St. Dee's 
If you've got any questions on that, please don't hesitate to come and ask me. I'm, I'm mingling around at the back over coffee. Just come and, and grab me. Uh, as we sit, let's pray. Father, I simply want to take Paul's phrase there and that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened as we study your word and as we are attentive to your spirit. Please teach us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Um, Here we are in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. One of the features of his letter to the Ephesian church is that there was no um, presupposing agenda. He wasn't writing to uh, counter some kind of heresy or because there was some kind of issue or problem as is manifest in, say, the church in Colossae or, or, or in Galatia or the Corinthians where there was an issue that Paul was writing to address. We're not aware of a particular issue with the church in Ephesus. So what Paul is doing here, similar to his letter in the Romans really, is to roll out what he understands God was doing when he sent Jesus to live and die and be raised again amongst us. Uh, So he's trying to sort of open, broaden the horizons of these relatively new Christians in Ephesus uh, and teach them and show them and reveal to them what God has done and is doing and longs to do in each and every one of us. And I, I guess that's why it's a starting point for us this term as we seek um, to roll out God's purposes for us as individuals and as a church here and uh, at the same time to attempt to to recover truth mindful that many of us uh, did the alpha course last term as a church this course is if if nothing else it's perhaps something of an alpha follow-up as we seek to recover truth in order that we might live free Three things, very briefly. I want to look at what God's purpose and plan is for us as individuals. Secondly, I want to look at what God's purpose and plan is for us as a church, Christian individuals together. And I want to look briefly at the implications of those first two. God's plan and purpose, according to Paul in Ephesians, for us as individuals. God's plan and purpose for us as a church. God's plan, uh, and, and the implications of those two for us. I'm in chapter 1 now and his prayer in verse 17. Chapter 1 and verse 17. God's plan and purpose for us as individual Christians I think is encapsulated in what Paul prays for them. I keep asking, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That's what he's asking for these individual Christians collected as they are in Ephesus that that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. God may literally sort of unveil reality so that we can see. Uh, He puts it like this in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Now we know that physiologically our hearts don't actually have eyes. I don't think he's meaning literally. I think it's just our inner being. The thing that makes us us would have the light shine on where there's gloom or darkness so that we can see in, in every sense of our being. So why does Paul pray that we might have the spirit of revelation, that sort of the blind lifted up, the veil cast to one side, that our hearts may see? And it's the end of verse 17, I think. 
so that you may know him better. So that you may know him better. We may know God better. Paul is assuming to the church here, and I make this assumption this morning, that the Ephesian Christians know God in some way. And his prayer is that they may continue to know him and get to know him better and better. I don't know whether you've been encouraged to that end by the adverts on the sides of the bus that uh, have been going along recently. Um, apparently, they're reminding us that there probably isn't a God. So don't worry, go on and uh, carry on enjoying your life. I think that's a fantastic advertising campaign. I don't know about you. I think it's brilliant. Apparently, atheists have been paying for it, which is even better. Um, it's wonderful. Uh, I can think of no better way to stir up interest in the Lord than, than to put on the side of a bus that probably isn't a God. It works like this. Supposing you were just walking around town and you saw a bus and it went past and the banner along the side of the bus said, don't worry, you probably didn't leave the oven on as you left home today. <laughs> what would you immediately think? Oh, I think, did I? Oh, no. oh I better go and check. It immediately stirs up the sort of question, doesn't it? I, I was put into the 8 o'clock this morning that actually I wonder whether we ought to have a little fundraiser so that we can add, we can, put, we can afford to add at the bottom of that. Don't worry, there probably isn't a God. But just in case there is, come to St. Dionys at 8, 10.30 and 6 o'clock. <laughs> see if you can find out. There is a point, though, to that, or there's something we can take from that, that actually it's not possible for us as created beings to say that we know, in all confidence, we know personally our creator, God, unless he chooses to reveal himself to us. It is difficult. It is a sort of search through this kind of a mist and a fog in one sense, if we do it solely in our own strength. If we reach and look and search and inquire with faith that he is there to be found, then actually I, I firmly believe we will find him. Because he has taken every step to reveal himself to us. It looks just, just, uh, you don't need to turn, it's just on the left-hand side there. As Paul opens his letter, chapter 1 and verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He's already done it. God has revealed himself. He has made himself known to us in ways that we can appreciate and understand. He sent Jesus as a man, someone who we could recognize to live amongst us. Praise God. He's revealed himself to us. If you go to a party and there's a, a guest there, someone you don't know, how are you going to find out about them? I mean, you, you could make sort of an educated guess. You, you could imagine um, roughly what age they are, roughly what job they do, if any. You could maybe guess something of their background, their hopes, aspirations, and so on. But it, it would only be an educated guess at best, unless... They came up, shook your hand, and began to tell you, my name is whatever it is. This is how old I am, or this is my family background, this is what I do, this is what I long for, these are my hopes and dreams. And then, as they reveal something of themselves to you, you can know that you're beginning to know them. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with all blessings in Christ. God has revealed everything that we need to know of him in Christ. That's why Paul prays. You know him. Now my prayer is that you might know him better. That the eyes of your heart might be enlightened, that you you know him better and know yourselves better in relation to him. Now, my contention is that in Paul's letter and Paul's understanding, and indeed in our understanding, that God hasn't just revealed himself so that we can know him in order to be impressed by him. God has revealed himself to us in Jesus so that we can both know him and be known by him, to be impacted by him, to be blessed by him, and to walk in the truth and the reality of every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly realms. Again, akin to someone who maybe um, shows us his amazing mansion in which he lives and uh, his fleet of uh, uh, luxury cars in the drive. Uh, Just all his, um, his butler and personal servants who are introduced to us as he shows us his bank account and portfolio of investments. Um, You have to kind of imagine this was maybe six months ago for the full effect. It would be very impressive. Wow, what a lovely house you live in. What wonderful cars you have. All your staff who work for you. Look at all your riches and wealth. That's amazing. That's impressive. But it's a whole different order if he then says to us, everything that I have, all that is mine, is yours. Here are the keys to the jag. Help yourself. How much of my riches, my wealth, would you like to spend for yourself? Have it all. Have as much as you like. Live in as much of my house. Live in, sleep in as many rooms. It's all yours. We go from being impressed to being impacted. (laughs) That affects us, doesn't it? It would affect our relationship with this person. Not just kept at some kind of impressive distance. But a whole new realm of blessing, we might say. All sorts of opportunities open themselves up for us. And that, it seems to me, is what Paul is wanting to say to the individuals in Ephesus. This impressive God can now be fully known by us in a way that impacts and changes and transforms our lives. I wonder amid the New Year's resolutions that we may or may not have made recently, was one of them to know God better, that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that we'd be impacted by him in such a way that we would know, as Paul clearly does, what it is to be blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What would your life, what would my life look like if I walked in the full and total and certain knowledge of that impacted relationship?
If I knew that all of my sin was completely forgiven and dealt with on the cross. If I knew I did not have to live with the blanket weight of condemnation and of guilt and of fear. What would my life look like? What would your life look like? Do you want to know God more? That's the first thing, to the individuals. Let's look across at chapter 3. God's purpose for individuals is also his purpose, I want to say, for the church. Just look at this in verse 10 of chapter 3. His intent, that's God's intent, his purpose, his plan, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not just for individuals, not just in the here and now. God's intent, God's plan, God's purpose is that his manifold wisdom, as as Paul puts it, it, that's a little sort of shorthand phrase for this extraordinary work of dealing with the sin that causes guilt and fear and and separation and animosity. We see it in the Middle East today. It was similar back then. Jew and Gentile, separated by centuries of suspicion and fear and, and, and hatred and condemnation. How, how, is, how are all these things going to be brought together in Christ? Or rather brought together. And the, the solution God has, the mystery as Paul calls it, this extraordinary thing, is that God has done it in Christ. Chapter 2, he says he's torn down the wall of division. And the two are now made one. That's this, that's this, I mean, who could think of something like that? Only God. I, I haven't got time to unpack it. But that's what Paul is referring to, I think. This, this manifold wisdom of God, this genius idea, this great salvific, salvific plan in Christ. But that, that's not just it. That's amazing as it is. That God has done something to reconcile the differences in the world. His intention is that that process, that knowledge of reconciliation should be worked out in the world through the church. But not just in the world. Paul sees that God's intention is far bigger than that. It's not just in the world of the here and now. It's actually in the whole of the created order. What Paul calls the heavenly realms. Look at verse 10 again. His intent was that now, not at some future date, but because the kingdom has begun, so now, through the church, that's ordinary, flawed, imperfect men and women like you and me. The amazing grace of God. He chooses, he elects to use us and wrap us up into his plans. His intention was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished, past tense. It's already done in Christ Jesus our Lord. The call on our lives corporately is to roll out and to cooperate in the plans and purposes that are already taking place. 
in fact, that have been accomplished in Christ. It, it, in a sense, it's already been done. The victory in the spiritual realm, the victory over the powers of darkness, has already been accomplished, won, established. And the call on our lives as individuals is to know God better and to see that more clearly and corporately as a church to live in that victory and to make that declaration to powers and authorities and principalities as they manifest themselves in this world and as they actually are in the unseen world. I want to say more about this world and the unseen world, if you like, the earth and the heavenly realms, as it comes up repeatedly, particularly in this letter, actually. I'll say more about that next week, and we can unpack that midweek. But I need, I'll leave that for now, other than to say that's the call on our lives as a church, is to make that declaration by the way in which we live, that the battle has been won, that Jesus is Lord, and that God is pulling all things together into one unifying, glorifying, cohesive whole. That vision is not yet complete, but it's well underway. And we're called to take and play our part in it. Finally, there's an implication, and it's, uh, let's just turn over the page or two chapter 6 and verse 10 Oh, sorry, not, well, not, in verse 10, you see, finally, and actually, it's sometime, I think there's been a mistaken view among some commentators, not anymore, I don't think. There's been quite a lot of recent study on the letter to the Ephesians. Formerly, there was this sense that um, when Paul says in verse 10, finally, it's almost like a sort of postscript, P.S., you know, a kind of, oh, by the way, I've said all that I really want to say, and oh, I've just had a little afterthought. And actually, the thinking is almost to turn that thinking on its head and to recognize that this finally is the climax of the letter. This is actually what Paul really wants to say and everything else has been leading up to that. As he's talked about the heavenly realms in the very first chapter, as he's talked about the powers and principalities, about authorities and so on, about unseen realities, now he wants to say, listen, in light of all that God is doing and is calling us into cooperating with him in this heavenly realm activity you'll need to be strong you'll need to be alive and alert and awake to these realities and look in verse 12 he says our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against these rulers authorities and so on in the heavenly realms our struggle it is to say and again I want to look at this over the next few weeks it is to say that there is a struggle that we are engaged in as we engage with Christ. Because although in one sense he has a, God has accomplished this in Christ, he's laid down the blueprint for the whole of creation. It's not yet completely uh, manifest in the created world. There is struggle, there is battle, and we are enjoined in the struggle in the battle as we become more aware of who we are in Christ as we as the eyes of our hearts become more enlightened as we have more of the spirit of revelation so that we see more and more one of the things we will see as individuals and as the church is the struggle the battle that we're engaged in 
we have a vision statement. Our aspiration, if you like, under the Lord, inspired by him to be the Christ-centered family. And I sometimes wonder whether, every now and then I look at it and think, should I be uncomfortable with this? Is, Is that exactly what the Lord is calling us to be? And I think he is. But my, my discomfort with the Christ-centered family line, just from, it's, not a, it's just a temporary thing, I sort of, you know, teasing and working it out. But you know, families are nice and sort of safe, and we're sort of, you know, we're sort of just kind and nice to each other. I know there are sort of occasional arguments and so on, but, but, but basically it's, it's sort of warm and fuzzy as a sort of feel, or as an aspiration, even if not quite a reality sometimes. My wife is smiling at me. but as an aspiration. And I just wonder whether, in fact, I feel quite convicted that for a season, for this term, the Lord is calling us as a family to also think of ourselves, as we're encouraged to biblically, as an army. As an army that is, that is kind of disciplined and alert because the army is aware that there are shells and mortars all around, that there is an enemy out to get us. An army that is sort of signed up and conscripted, disciplined, intentioned. An army that will stand together in unity and fight when called upon. And I want over these next few weeks just to explore the extent to which that's an apt metaphor that the Bible encourages us to use of ourselves. To think of ourselves as an army in this struggle, in this battle. That's the first implication for us as individuals and as a church, that we're in a struggle, we're in a battle. And the second is just to focus on who it is we're struggling against. It's not, verse 12, flesh and blood. By which I think Paul means, um, you know, people, the things of the here and now. Uh, Organisations, structures, patterns of life it isn't that per se as the unseen powers the unseen influences at work behind or in and through people structures organizations ways of the world Paul puts it negatively our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities and so on let's let's just rephrase it positively our struggle is against Rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's not against flesh and blood. So to sum up Paul's letter, he's encouraging us as individuals to get to know God better. The eyes of our heart enlightened so that we can see these spiritual realities. Because that's what he's calling us as a church to do. To live out and walk out and wrestle in this spiritual battle. When we do that, we'll see that actually it isn't the people or the things that we perceive in the earthly realm. We'll actually begin to see its realities behind that that we wage war against. We love people or institutions or patterns of life. But we learn to wrestle and struggle against the demonic energies, the forces of darkness, what does Paul call it? Um, The powers of this dark world against the spiritual forces of evil. We learn to recognize them and stand against them 
in the heavenly realm. And over the course of this term, I want to talk a little bit more about that, teach about it from Scripture. What does Scripture have to say about that? And about how we equip ourselves and gird ourselves. How do we make the most of this spiritual armor so that we may both defend ourselves as we stand firm and also as we go on the attack, as we advance, as we claim kingdom territory in Jesus' name. As we do, I want to suggest we'll begin to ask ourselves questions of the world in which we live and questions of the way in which we've seen the world. Hamas and Israel, is that just happening? Is it, oh well, another war in the world? Or is there something that lies behind and energizes the intense hatred, the bitterness, the, 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 the searing loss of dozens and dozens, hundreds of families and individuals? Is there something that's energizing that? Or is that just, oh well, just people don't really get on? Closer to home, this uh, was the headline of the Independent, banner headline, look, Beyond Belief, the story just before Christmas, uh, of some atrocity, uh, uh, just a horrible abuse in some English village. This is what it says. In quiet English villages, a father repeatedly beat and raped his two daughters. He fathered nine children by them, and his attack led to 19 pregnancies. And the final phrase is this. So how could this happen? Front page of the Guardian. So how could this happen? It's a good question. It's a question I want to suggest that defeats the liberal rationalism of the last two or three centuries in the Western world. Where we just, the myth of progress, we're getting better. We're getting, we're getting nicer. We're, we're finding out ways in which, and we're working towards ways in which we can work it out. We, we can suss life out. And there in the 21st century, right underneath our noses, something happens that causes us to say, how? Why? This is beyond my rational, enlightened belief system. Something's happened beyond it. Who or what has caused that? Is there anything we can do or say by way of response? Or personally? I've been reflecting quite a lot recently in, my, in preparation of this and over these last few months at the, the kind of shortcomings and, and failings in my own life. Someone within my family has come into my study when I wasn't there and has helped themselves to my sellotape. Now let's just stand back for a moment and put this in perspective. It's just, it's not my wife. I'm not accusing anyone. It's just sellotape. Do you know what? I could pop down there, I could go and get another bit of sellotape. It's probably somewhere in the house. I could go and find it. But it's not in my little sellotape place in my study. I wanted the sellotape just to use it then. And it's not there. And instead of just going, oh well, I erupt in anger. I'm livid. I, I thump the desk. I stomp around the house. I demand an inquiry. There's a public inquiry here and now. I say things like, I don't mind if you borrow my sellotape, but put it back. When really what I'm saying is I'm really, really angry and I'm just going to spill out all my anger and you're just going to the, bear the brunt of it. And then when I calm down, 
and I kind of lift my eyes towards the Lord, I find myself asking, where did that come from? That's a good question to ask, Tim Stilwell. Where did that come from? Was it actually that I'm part of a, of a battle, a struggle, and actually something is fanning into flame, flawed bits of my character and who I am? And I, I, I can't wait to submit myself to this teaching. I can't wait for us as a church to get together and to kind of work out what it means to live in the sure and certain and real knowledge that God has blessed us in every spiritual blessing. He pours out blessing because that's what he loves to do. And if I'm not being showered by his blessing, it's because I've moved out of the stream. And so other things energize me. Anger or fear or insignificance or jealousy or bitterness. See, all of these things, you think of how much legislation there is in our world, in our country. How many laws are there? And yet, is there a law against, or that can, can do anything about lust, or envy, or pride? See, these are spiritual issues. These need to be recognized and dealt with in the spiritual realm. You, you can't legislate in a court of law for the health of the heart. But God has done something that can help to heal the heart in the spiritual realm, in Christ. And as we recognize that God is constantly wanting to pour out like a sort of tunnel of blessing in this world, we can do something to turn from where we currently are and walk into his blessing and receive his forgiveness and receive his restoration and receive his healing and wholeness. That's the aim behind this recovering truth that's the hope as we meet midweek that we'll help one another to do that so that we don't only recover truth but we live free as well in Jesus name Amen